You ever met somebody that seems perfect? Maybe they have everything together. Maybe the, the dress and the, the way they wear their clothes, everything just seems perfect. Uh, maybe they, they just seem to have all the perfect stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you need something, they just always seem to have it. Maybe it's the person that always has the right thing to say. They'll, they always have the right words. You ever know someone like that? Um, maybe they just, they always just seem to be doing perfect. It kind of makes the rest of us sick, you know, whenever everything just seems to be cloudy and they're like, I'm doing great, you know, and nothing seems to be going wrong. The perfect person, they, they just always seem to be perfect. And, and maybe you have a spouse here with you right now, and you're probably thinking the same thing everybody else is thinking, and they're thinking about me right now. I mean, as soon as Pastor Ryan said all those things in their brain, just I popped into their mind with this glow around my head like a halo, right? And the other spouse is thinking, they're thinking about me. <laughs> but sometimes it's, it's really easy to try to live a perfect life. And the fact is, is that sometimes we think that being a Christian means being perfect. And here's the fact, none of us are perfect. I want to read a scripture uh, out of Psalm 119, and we're going to kind of stay in here a little bit today. And it's interesting, this, this is what it says, Psalm 119, verse 1. The writer says this, kind of describes the perfect person. It says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and, and seek him with all their heart. I love this next one. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. And we read that, and, and we see this author is talking about somebody who's living life so close to God that their walk in this life is blameless. He says that they're so blessed that they do nothing wrong. And we, and we read this, and we sometimes we, we feel like it's difficult to walk worthy of God at all whenever we read things like this. And we're like, how can we do that? Is it, am I the only one in here? It sounds like somebody who's perfect, and that's certainly not me, and you're probably thinking the same thing, but sometimes we can look at Christianity like we have to be perfect all the time, like somehow we're supposed to be perfect, and then we read the next few verses, and the writer says this, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. In other words, oh, I wish I was like that. It says, then I would not be put to shame when I consider your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn, everybody say learn, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. He's talking to God. Please do not utterly forsake me. And what we learn from these last few scriptures is that this guy is obviously not that person either. That there, there's something else. He wishes he was. He wishes he was that person. He says just thinking about God's commandments, and, and, and when I read it that way, it makes me feel shameful because I compare it to all the wrongdoing I have in my life. It makes him feel horrible. Have you ever thought about the Bible uh, or the right way that you, maybe you think you're supposed to be living and it make you feel like a dirtbag because of how you actually are? <laughs> I'm just going to raise my hand and say, your pastor is the first one to say, yes, that's me. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just kind of want you to take a personal inventory. H have you ever maybe looked at somebody else who's further along or, or you've read the scriptures and you're like, man, I just feel like a dirtbag. I feel shameful when I think about Christianity or when I think about God because of the way my life is, because I'm comparing myself to something that seems to be perfect. I went to a, a daddy-daughter dance. Any dads ever take their daughters to one of those? And it was really great, actually. It was at a church I was at many years ago, and we went, and we dressed our best. I was in a suit and tie, and, and Mia was in a dress and had the whole makeup on, and 
and we had our pictures taken with professional photographers, and they had all this food out, and the dancing, and the DJ, and the lights, and everything was good, and, you know, perfect place for us to go put on our front. You know what I'm talking about? And about halfway through the night, they led all the dads off into a side room where this guy further along than we were was going to kind of tell us how to kind of up, bring our, our daughters up and kind of how we were supposed to be doing it. And really what he did was make us all feel like lowlifes <laughs> because the contrast between what we should have been doing and what a lot of us in the room were actually doing, we all felt horrible. Um, needless to say, we took it as a learning experience and we, we tried to shore up our daddy skills. But it's only natural to compare ourselves with God's standards and feel like we don't measure up. Shame is not hard to come by whenever we think about that type of comparison. And the writer in this verse says that, you know, he feels the same way. He didn't say, I love how he didn't say, I'm, I'm going to be perfect from here on out. I, I, I see what's in, your, in, the, in the scriptures. I see what's in your law, God. And from here on out, I, I just vow to be perfect from here on out. And, and it's easy going into 2018 to make some resolutions that are a little bit uh, too tall of an order for us to actually meet. It's easy for us to go into 2018 as Christians and, and, and try to make our list of what we should be doing this year and what it actually looks like, if we're honest, is perfection. We know we should be doing these things, but I think we, we kind of, we, we attack it the wrong way. But this is what he does say in verse 7. I just want to remind you, we're going to put it on the screen. He doesn't say, I'm going to be perfect, but he says, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn from you. The goal here is I want you to teach me, God. I want to grow in you. Perfection isn't the goal, but a heart aimed at him is. Is anybody hearing that today? It, going into the new year and, and trying to learn and grow in God, it's easy to try to feel like we got to be perfect. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never, like, you're just kind of seeking it out and you're kind of thinking about faith, but you're not really, you haven't crossed that line yet. And maybe one of the things holding you back is, well, if I do that, then I'm going to have to be perfect. So I would just rather not be what we call a hypocrite and, and cross that line of faith because I know I can't be perfect. He said perfection isn't the goal. A heart aimed at him is as you learn. So the questions we need to be asking ourselves is, where's our heart in all of this? Is our heart bent towards God? Do we really want to learn? Could it be that God cares not only about your behavior, but how you respond to your behavior? Could it be that he cares more about what's going on in your heart? Let me ask it this way. Does it break your heart whenever you fail? Does it do something inside? Do you desire to do it differently next time? Is there something inside of you that breaks? What is in your heart will determine what you do consistently in life. What is in your heart will determine what you do consistently in life. And that's why he says, I'm not perfect, but as I learn your ways, my heart becomes more steadfast. It becomes more upright. He's saying, God, as, as my heart gets filled up with more of you, I become more consistent in making choices in life that draw us nearer together. Despite our imperfections, we can still come to God with an upright heart. That's good news, isn't it? It's good news for me. We can still come to him with an upright heart if we genuinely desire to learn his ways and let him change us. Now, let me just go ahead and put a lot of you at ease right now because a lot of you are probably thinking, Pastor Ryan's saying it's okay to do wrong and okay to sin just as long as we really don't want to down deep in our hearts. And I just want to be the first one to say that's not what I'm saying. James chapter 4 actually says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, then for you it's a sin. Somebody say Amen when you know, then you're responsible. If you know the right thing to do and don't do it, then for you, it's a sin. And that's, 
that's what the Bible says very plainly. Just because you want to do the right thing doesn't make it right when you do the wrong thing. Some of us, I think, judge ourselves based on our intentions and not what we actually do. You ever, you ever go on a diet? Man, you, you just plan to go on a diet. You get everything written out. You feel like you've already lost 10 pounds, and that's the way you communicate it to all your friends. You're like, man, I'm going to go on this diet. I'm going to start eating this. You look in the mirror, and you just look skinnier already. We judge ourselves based on our intentions, but we judge other people based on what we actually do. And, and it's easy to sometimes think, well, I, I intend to do something, but I don't actually follow through. And you know what? Eventually, God's going to say, it's time for, you to, time for you to step up your game here and not just intend. So what I'm saying is God sees your heart. God's never going to ask for perfection because you can't do it. But what God does ask is for us to walk along with him. What he does ask for us to do is hold his hand as he leads us. And there's two ways that we're going to talk about today. As we do that, going into this, in this new year, that you can make sure that you're walking along with God. Two ways. First is this, choose to obey him. Notice how I said choose. That means it's a choice that, that you and I have to make. It's not something that's made for us. He gives us all the opportunity in the world to do this, but we actually have to choose it. We, we can intend to, we can listen to Pastor Ryan, we can listen to people online, we can read our Bibles even, but we eventually have to choose to obey God. He will never ask you to be perfect because there's no such thing, but he will always ask for your obedience. Perfection is based on uh, performance. It's based on what I, what, what I do in performance, but obedience is measured in the heart. And what, what's in your heart is what you do consistently in life. Um, my boys were cleaning the kitchen the other night after a spaghetti dinner. And, yeah, I make my kids clean the kitchen. I don't do it. I make the, I make the dinner, and then I, I leave. When I was a kid, my dad used to look at us and be like, you got the kitchen. My mom walked out. <laughs> Pots and pans everywhere. I learned how to wash dishes that way. Uh, I think we need to teach our kids how to wash dishes. I'm teaching mine. So... They were cleaning up after a spaghetti dinner. Part of their tasks is to get all the leftover food that's on people's plates into the garbage can. Well, the next morning, I walk over, and there's spaghetti sauce all over the wall <laughs> where the trash can is. And there's dried up spaghetti on the floor, and they're supposed to sweep. And so I call them down, and I'm like, hey, what's going on here, guys? And we got to talking about it a little bit. But what I noticed is that they were very sincere about listening to Dad. They were very receptive about what I was saying, and they were sorry. And they're like, Dad, you know, we're, we're going to do it next time. We got this. And so Daddy was proud. You know, it, it wasn't about perfection because perfection isn't the goal, but obedience as we grow is. And I knew they were doing that, so Daddy was proud of them. There, there's a word in the Bible that describes how we're supposed to grow in God like this. There's a word that, that describes how we're supposed to be obedient to him and be growing. And this word, maybe you've heard of it, is called sanctification. A lot of people don't talk about it a whole lot, but this word is called sanctification, and it's a process. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are supposed to be in this process as we go through life, becoming more and more sanctified. And I want you to memorize that word. It's called sanctification, and that means we are in this process growing and becoming more obedient in Christ every day as we, as we submit more and more of our lives to him. Now, a lot of people think that, you know, if, if I'm a Christian, then that means I believe in God, I believe he's good, and I attend church regularly. And that's the extent. But that's, that's kind of just stopping right there at the cross. We come to the cross, we accept forgiveness, and that's it. But that cross was meant to connect you to something so much more. He, Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give it to the full. That means there is a life to the full that we're supposed to be growing in every day. The New Testament describes this process like looking in the mirror and, and changing into the very image of Jesus Christ. It's the same word that was used whenever Jesus was transfigured. I don't know if you remember the story or not, but he was, he was transfigured right in some of the disciples' presence. 
And just as he was transfigured, the Apostle Paul uses that same word to describe how we're supposed to be moving. And the word actually is the same in the English as as metamorphosing. Isn't this interesting? We're supposed to be growing into the very image of Christ, becoming more and more like him as we submit ourselves to him. The word is called sanctification. Not a lot of people talk about that these days. Because sanctification means we actually have to do something. But I can tell you something that's true. When we submit ourselves to Christ, when we choose to obey God on a daily basis, we become better. Not only do we become better, but we become more joyful because we begin to realize that it's not our strength that's going to get us through this life, but it's his. And I think a lot of people in this room, including myself, we need strength in this life. We need hope sometimes and joy where it can't be found anywhere else. And it's going to be found in Christ. And it's going to be found whenever we submit to him and choose to obey him, when we choose to be sanctified, growing in him more and more. If I were to ask you, are you perfect right now? If I took this microphone and just, everybody would would say no, right? Everybody gets the fact that we're not perfect. Everybody understands that. Ten years from now, if I were to ask you then, hey, are, are you perfect? Have you reached it? You would say, no, I'm not. We, we all get the fact that we're not perfect. And God, he, he gets this too. He understands that until we get to heaven, there's always going to be room to grow in him. And that's what, that's what being sanctified is about. That's what this process is about, is choosing to obey God on a daily basis. Paul told the Thessalonian church very plainly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. The word there means consecrated and purified. And those words scare us because we know we, we equate them to perfection, but that's not what God's saying. If you think about purification, like water being purified, there's a purification process that the city uses to purify water. And it's a process. It's, it goes from stage to stage, but it's always moving forward. It's always becoming cleaner and cleaner with every stage. And that's how, that's how we as Christians are supposed to be. He said earlier in that same chapter to live in order to please God more and more. There's this more and more element to being a Christian. Never perfect, but there's this more and more. There's this listening to and obeying him more and more. Some of you are wondering, how am I supposed to do that? I've, I've, never, I've never given my life to God that way. Interestingly enough, we, we are, as a church, not just Goldsboro, but all our locations under the bridge name are going to be starting a 21-day fast corporately um, next week. And maybe you've never fasted before. Maybe you don't even know what it is. Let me just briefly describe what it is. It's, it's one of the, the, the best ways, if not the best way, to tune out the things that are make noise all in our lives and tune in with our spirits, our inner self, the part that's actually growing more and more, being sanctified in God. And when we fast, here, here's the biblical definition of a fast, to do without food for a spiritual purpose, okay? People fast all kinds of things. They do without things. We're not going to be religious about it and say you have to do this or that. But what we are saying is, is we want to put God first this year. We, we want to tune into him, and we, we want him to, to be more in our lives than he's ever been before. And so we're going to fast for 21 days. We're going to do without something. And so what I want to ask you to do is pray about what God may be wanting you to give up for 21 days. And we're going to start it next week on the 14th, and we're going to do it together. And I can tell you this, when you give up for God this way, God will bless your socks off. In fact, and, and I can promise you this because I've been a part of something just like this for years now, you will find blessings tracking you down on into October and November and December still because of what you do at the beginning of this year. And if it means something to you, people say, what, what do I fast? If it means something to you, it'll mean something to God. That's kind of the rule that, that we live by. If it means something to you, it'll mean something to God. So I just want to encourage you, 
pray and figure out what it is as I choose to obey him, as I choose to grow more and more in him. I want to start this year off with, with a fast with my church family. And we're going to do it together. And we're going to be tracking with you. And we're going to be praying with you. We're going to be maybe even sharing some of the testimonies. I've, I've heard in day three of the fast, God began to break chains in people's lives that had them held up. Uh, prayer requests that they had that, that they just couldn't get any answers. And they began a fast. And God began to respond because of, of how they, they sacrificed for him. I want you to know that more so than just answered prayer, more so than just God pouring blessing in your life, the, the, the true blessing is knowing him. The true blessing is tuning out all the noise of our lives and letting our spirits be in tune to God. And we're going to do that together as a church family starting next week. So I, I want, just want you to be encouraged with that. Sometimes as we're, we're sanctified, God, uh, God uses crisis situations in our lives to get us to, to see him more. Sometimes it's, you ever heard through the fire is when we become refined? You ever, you ever heard that? It's the same thing sometimes God uses in our lives. Um, there are things about us as we choose to obey him, as we go forward in him, there are things about us that, that God wants to reveal at certain times and ask us to trust us, ask, him, ask us to trust him. He, there are characteristics about us that we just kind of let go under the radar that God says, you know what, I want to take you to another level in me. And in order to do that, I, I want to focus in on this. And he will use, sometimes he won't use the booming voice out of heaven. Sometimes he'll use the circumstances and say, trust me with this. And he'll begin to develop you. And kind of the best way that I've, I've learned to describe this is moving. Has, has anybody ever moved in here? Isn't that a hassle? I mean, come on. You, you start to get in your closet. You start, everything is neat and tidy in your house. And then like about day four of moving, everything, your whole life is all over the floor. There's stuff out of the cabinets. And you thought, man, if I had just decided not to move. And everyone thinks that, man, we should just stay here. <laughs> we, we, we shouldn't go anywhere. You feel like your whole life is on the floor. What used to be nice and comfortable is now a complete mess. And you're, you're trying to pack all your stuff up. And as you do, you're going into the deepest parts of your attic, the deepest parts of your closet. And guess what? We're finding things that we didn't know we had. Remember this? Oh, man, I got to, this has got to go back in the keepsake box. And we reminisce. But then there's some things we're like, man, this ain't going to the new house. This, this is going in the trash box. This is going in, in the free box that we're going to put out at the yard sale next week. There are things in your life that you will never know you have that are not going with you to the next level until, until the, the, the crisis situation of a move comes in. And, and sometimes in our lives, he will use circumstances that seem like crisis situations in our lives. And it's the only way sometimes that he begins to reveal things that are hidden away in us that we didn't know existed. That there, there are certain things in us, certain cracks in our character, certain uh, levels of integrity that, that we don't want to take with us into the next level that God has for us. And we don't know it until we get into a crisis situation and those things begin to be revealed. But God says this, this type of testing in our lives, it says it develops perseverance in us. It, it says that it actually develops perseverance in us to the point that we will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How, how many of you want to say at the end of this year, I want to be better? N nobody wants to look back at the end of this year and say, you know what, I'm pretty much the same person I was at the beginning. No one wants to look back at the end of two and five years and go, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of just the same person. We, we want to be better. And sometimes when we're choosing to obey God, he will use these crisis situations in our lives to begin to reveal things in us that we need to give up to him. If we think about it like this, the hardships that God allows in your life are actually supreme opportunities to be refined by him. And sometimes 
We want the easy way out because it's easy. And sometimes we don't, we don't want to allow the hard things in our lives that we can actually learn something from because it hurts. But hardships can be something that we learn from if, if we'll let it, if we'll choose to obey God. Being sanctified and, and growing in God and choosing to obey Him, uh, it also means that we live a holy life. Perfect? No, we can't be perfect. But God says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, that God didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Now, I just got to say, God would never ask us to do something that we were incapable of doing. But we see words like that, and it seems like a tall order, and we're like, we, we can't. <laughs> I can't do it. I know my own struggle. I know my own sin. God doesn't ask us to figure all that out. What he says is, you come to me with all this, and don't look back, and I'll help you through it. And God's an amazing grace giver. I, I, I love this because he's not saying be perfect, but what he is saying is grow in me and choose to say yes to me. Choose to say yes to me daily. People ask the question, does being sanctified mean that I'll never sin? Uh, not necessarily, but the Bible is very clear in the book of Romans that it is not God's will for us to sin. He, he doesn't condone it. It's not his will for us to sin. His will is that you begin to trust him with all of you. With my whole self, my body, my emotions, my soul, my mind, my desires. But we're not perfect either. So, so what's this is kind of like a, a catch-22 there. So does that mean that if, if we sin, we're not saved? Does that mean if, if we sin and we fail, does that mean we're not, we're not being sanctified? And this is the great debate that Christians and non-Christians alike uh, have plagued our, 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 our society with for years. Because we judge each other. Well, they, they could never be saved because they, they do that. Well, they, they could never be saved because they have a porn addiction. Or, or they could never, they, they're not saved. Look at the way they just give up the whole, all the time for, for things of this world. They Look at them doing drugs. I know what they did on the weekend. They're not saved. And we look at behavior. Again, uh, performance, that's, that's what perfection is based on. And so we look at behavior and we judge their heart. And God says, you're not the judge, I am. In other words, what he's saying is not that we're not supposed to go to each other when we have problems in the church and say, hey, uh, you know, and call each other back in love. But he's saying, you're not the one that has the final say-so on their soul. I am. Because I see things that you don't, you don't see. What I can say is this. You can't marginalize God's grace. You, you can't do it. You, God demonstrated this grace for us. It's, it's talked about in Romans 5 and 8. And he says he demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners... He died for us. That means while we still had our back turned to him, he came and died for He still saw fit to die for you and die for me when we were in our worst. And you may have said, well, he, he, he died for our, our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. And you may say, well, I haven't even committed those sins yet. They're, they're in my future. How did he die for them? When, when Jesus died for you on the cross, all your sins were in the future, unless you were born 2,000 years ago. <laughs> he died for you while we were still sinners. I think about my, my kids as kind of an illustration with this. I'm never going to stop loving them. You're never going to stop loving your kids. They're, they're never going to stop being my kids. When they do something wrong, I give grace. And sometimes that grace has to come in the form of discipline, but they never stop being mine, and I never stop loving them, and I never stop choosing to be their dad no matter what they do. I, ne I never stop choosing to be their dad through love and through action. And the relationship keeps growing. Here's why. Because they genuinely desire to be in relationship with me, and I love them so much I'd die for them. That's why. 
There's a story in the New Testament that Jesus tells of a, of a young man, and he's in line to get some inheritance from his dad. And before his, before his dad passes away, before the time comes for him to get the inheritance, he says, Dad, I want all what you have for me. I want all the inheritance now. And he takes it, and he, he leaves. He leaves the estate. He leaves his family. He goes to another country, and the Bible says he squandered it on wild living. Now, whatever wild living means to you, was exactly what it meant to them. He, he completely wasted it prematurely. And the Bible says that he came to his senses one day, and he had to get into a really low spot. Sometimes we do really stupid things when we're sinning, don't we? And he got to a really low spot. And he decides, you know what? I, I have completely done the wrong thing here. I've come to my senses. I'm going to go back to my father, and when I do, I'm not even going to ask to be his son because I'm not worthy of that. I feel too shameful to ask for that. My actions have not proved that I'm worthy of that. So I'm just going to go back and I'm going to ask to be one of his servants because they've got it way better off than I've got it now living in the, the, the scum that I'm living in. Even his servants are, are better off. So I'm just going to go back and, and ask to be one of his servants. And, and we do the same thing whenever we come to God because we failed. We think that we're not worthy of him and, and we, let, we let sin and shame kind of knock us over. Did you know that none of that is why God chose you? He, he didn't choose you because you didn't have that in your life. He didn't choose you because somehow you were so worthy of him. And Jesus continues with the story. The young man comes back, and he's broken. He's humbled. He's, he's on his knees before his dad. And you know what his dad did? His dad picked him up off the ground and said, My son has come home. Let's celebrate. He was so excited. He didn't ask him where he had been. He didn't ask him what he had done. He didn't scold him for a minute while, while, he, while the servants came. He just said, my son is home. Let's celebrate. Bring my ring. Bring my robe. Put it on my son. Let's have a feast. He celebrated. The whole house stopped everything they were doing and celebrated the return of the son. You never stop being God's. I don't care how far you go. You cannot outrun his love for you. You can't do it. You, you cannot marginalize his grace. You never stop being his. He never stops loving you. He never stops choosing you through his love and through his action. So if, if we say, well, if I sin, I'm, I must not be saved, or if, if I fail, I must not be in this, this whole process of being sanctified, that's like saying if, if I do wrong, I quit being my dad's son. Sometimes it's, it's failures in our lives that we go through whenever we repent and whenever we learn that later God uses to sanctify a pure heart even further. Now, there's repentance that takes place. There's a turn in our lives that takes place. There's a, a choice on our part to choose him. Understand, it's not God's will for you to sin, but do not be legalistic about it whenever somebody else, whenever their heart breaks over their own life and they want to turn it to God. And don't be legalistic over your own life. I've had to do the same thing in my life whenever I failed because you know what? I'm human. And sometimes I still fail God. But I come to him and I'm learning, I'm learning to go. You know what? Long ago, you died for me while I was still in sin. You love me right now. You're not looking at me with shame and guilt. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. And I believe right now, God, you're looking on me with grace because my heart is yours and I want to do better. Show me, help me. I can't do it by myself. He can do more with a heart that's broken over their sin and wants to obey him than he ever could with someone who thinks their life is good, but deep down in their heart, their desire is not for God. He can do more with a, a broken heart. Holy living is possible because God said it was. Does it mean perfection? No, none of us are ever going to be perfect. Does it mean being sanctified? 
that process because I'm submitting myself and choosing to obey him every day? Yeah, it does. So I choose to obey him. Secondly, last point, I choose to honor his word. I choose to obey God, and secondly, I choose to honor his word. Did you know that the Bible is God's word? That's how we walk with him, is by choosing to honor his word. Psalm 138 says that God exalts above all things his name and his word. He holds it up. He esteems it because it's his word, and the Bible says it doesn't change. It's the same yesterday. It's the same today and forever. It's, it's the same. It's the same power it had back then is the same power it has now. Ephesians chapter 6 says that his word is an offense when you're struggling. It's a weapon. When you're struggling to give in to sin, it says that his very word is, is like a weapon that you can use to fight. You don't, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to memorize all the verses. You don't have to be perfect. But you do have to make a choice to honor it. You do have to make a choice to read it. The writer of Psalm 119, that, those scriptures we were reading a few minutes ago, he, he posed the question, how is a person supposed to live this kind of holy life? Let's, let's finish reading here a few more verses that we started. We're going to read in verse 9. He says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Maybe you've asked the same question. How am I supposed to live this life? By living according to your word. By honoring his word. So he says this in verse 10. I seek you with all my heart, so do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, what we like to say is, is I have enough willpower in my life that I may not sin against you. Or I've been to church today, buddy, and the pastor preached the paint off the walls, and I've got enough feel good in me that I might not sin against you. Or my mama and my daddy were good Christians. They brought me to church, and my grandma brought me to church when I was little. So that should be good enough so I might not sin against you. Or, you know what, I, I, did a few, I, made, I made a few tweaks in my own life. God, so I might not sin against you. That's all based on performance. That's all based on the idea of perfection. You can't not sin against him in and of your own will. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I'm, I might not sin against you. That means I have it inside of me. I read it. I honor it so that when the time comes, it comes back to my memory and in my heart, and I can say it. And that's my weapon, according to Ephesians 6. Jesus, whenever he was in the, uh, he was fasting. He was actually fasting for 40 days, right before his earthly ministry started. And at the end of it, the, Satan comes and starts to tempt him. Hebrews says that he was tempted just like we were, yet he didn't sin because he was 100% human. 100% God, but 100% human. And he starts to tempt him. And you think Jesus, man, he's 100% God. He, he could call down angels. He could shoot lightning out of his fingertips. That's probably what I would have done. I would have been like, get out of here. You would have done it. Don't lie. You, you'd have been thinking all kinds of things to do. But you know what Jesus did? He simply quoted the word of God. Every time he would be tempted, he would say, it is written, because it was always a twist. It was always a lie. It would have a little bit of the word of God in it, but it would be a lie. And Jesus would just stop and say, hey, that's not right. It is written. And finally, after the third time, he said, it is written. And then he quoted the word of God. He said, get away from me, Satan. And Satan left. You have to have the right equipment in your life if you're going to do the job that's required. Have you ever tried to plow a field Maybe you've never tried to, but farmers do. And, and they use these really big plows to disc up the, the dirt in the field. And, and I've, I've never seen one try to, try to plow a field with a screwdriver. Wrong equipment, right? Have you ever seen somebody like me 
play running back for the Dallas Cowboys? Wrong equipment for, for the job. I, I don't have what it takes. I would be killed. And sometimes we walk into our Christian life thinking that we have what it takes in and of ourselves. It's the wrong equipment. You were never equipped in and of yourself to fight an enemy as powerful as Satan who wants to destroy your life. But he says, I might not sin against you, God, because I've got your word hidden in my heart. That's your only hope. So I, we have to honor God's word. God's never going to ask you to be ask you to be perfect, but he is going to ask for your obedience. He is going to ask you to have your heart aimed at him, and he is going to ask you to honor his word. The interesting thing about all this is that God's standard is perfection. He's a perfect God. I mean, think about it. Why, why would me being so imperfect be allowed to be in a perfect place like heaven with a perfect God? He, he exists in perfection. Why would he accept imperfection? Yet, he doesn't expect perfection from us. Isn't that weird? You, you ever think about that? How, how is that possible? He, he knew you weren't perfect. You know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. We don't deserve him. And this is where Christianity is different from any other so-called religion on the planet. Every other one, whether it be Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or Sikhism, and there's, there's a ton more out there. Every one, if you do the research, every other one requires that you do something to earn some type of eternal life from what they call heaven or, or some realm of euphoria. You have to do something. You have to go through all these steps. You have to earn your way. Christianity is the only one where God himself came down and sacrificed himself and did the work for us. That's, he's the only one. Every other one requires you do something. Christianity is the only one where God says, I'm going to come and be perfect in your place. All I want you to do is believe in me and grow with me. He gave himself up for us so that our worthiness could be found in him. Quick story, and then I'm done. The creation story. Let me take you all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're perfect. They have no imperfections. Everything they need is provided by God right there. Everything they could ever want is there. They're in the very presence of God. And they were tempted, and they gave in, and they sinned. Now, do you remember what tree they ate from? If you, if you read the story, it was the knowledge of good and evil. All of a sudden, they had a knowledge before all they knew was God. All they knew was good. All they knew was, was perfection. And all of a sudden now, their minds begin to comprehend what evil was too. They, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's, that's what the fruit they ate. And all of a sudden, they, they sinned. They had sin in their lives. They became imperfect. And imperfection cannot exist with God. And so we, we know what happens. God sort of banished them from the garden. You remember that? And we all think, man, God, that, that was a tough punishment. They, they actually got kicked out of the garden. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it, right, we, we, we think, or maybe we would have. Heard a pastor say one time, if they wouldn't have it, it would have come all the way down to me, and I would have done it. That's, that's what he said. But they, they, they get banished from the garden, and we all thought for years, you know what? They got banished from the garden as punishment, punishment for their sin. Now they're imperfect, and God can't be with imperfection, so they had to get kind of kicked out of the garden. But if you read the story, there was another tree that existed too in the garden. It was called the tree of life. And if you ate of that tree, you actually lived forever, forever, for eternity. You never die. And God said this. He said, I'm going to banish them from the garden and so that they may not eat of the tree of life and be in a sin-cursed body forever. 
This is interesting because it's a foreshadow of the sacrifice that God would make thousands of years later in Jesus Christ. He said, if they eat from the tree of life, then they are going to be forever plagued with this sin-cursed body. I love them so much. I want to be with them again, and I don't want them like this. So immediately, the, the biological clock in them started ticking, and they began to die. If they had ate from the tree of life, they would have lived forever like that. God said, I, I need to be with you. I love you so much. And so he, he, he banished them from the garden and put an angel in front of that garden with a flaming sword swinging it back and forth that they may not enter it again so that they would die a natural death. That's why you and I die today. That's why we have a funeral business here. That's why some of us are 100 years old and some of us are 10 years old and everywhere in between. Our bodies are aging. Why? Because a long time ago, God said, I don't want you to live forever like this because eventually I'm going to come and I'm going to make a sacrifice for you because I want you in eternity with me where you're perfect, where you live forever, but you can't do it like this. I've, I've got to get you out of the garden. I've got to get it to where you're, you're actually aging, where you actually die, where you actually leave this planet. And I just got to say right now, I mean, if, if, if I knew there was a tree of life somewhere where I could go and live forever, I, I would go get it when, when some, one of my loved ones has cancer. I would go get it when I know my, my child has some terminal disease and I don't, I don't know what else to do. And so I would be seeking this fruit so they could stay with me a little bit longer. But God said, listen, this earth is not the end. There's coming a day where when, when you live in me and, and you, you accept my sacrifice for you, you're going to live forever somewhere else and I want to be with you there. He, he banished them from the garden. He makes it so we can't... Get to that fruit because he wants to live with you forever in heaven. And he did this all for the chance that you would choose him. He sacrificed himself, came down from heaven, all for the chance that you would choose him. God doesn't ask for our perfection because when the time was right, he came and he was perfect for us. He simply wants us to know him. He simply wants us to live in obedience to him. He simply wants us to choose him. So if you're waiting to be perfect before living for him, it's never going to happen. But you can choose to obey him and you can choose to honor his word. And for him, that is enough. Towards the end of this psalm in 119, the writer says some things to God that I think as we close today is a great commitment to make as we close the service and as we go into this new year. And it's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to read it along with me. He acknowledges God's word and he says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. It's kind of poetic language there, but he's saying, God, I, your word illuminates my life to where I know what to do. He says, I, I've taken an oath and I've confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I've suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me. Oh, God, that you would teach me your laws. I don't know enough of them yet. I'm not perfect, God. Teach them to me. Though I consistently, I constantly take my life in my hands, I won't forget your law. Look at verse 111. Your statutes are my heritage forever, and they are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Is that a prayer you want to pray to him today? None of us are perfect. God doesn't expect perfection from us but he does want us to choose him. God loves you, and he wants you to make that commitment to him and start that journey today. So I want you just to stand up, and we're going to say a prayer right before we go.
Maybe you've been on this journey with God for a long time, and, and you're saying today, you know what? I'm, I'm going to shore up my position. I'm not going to try to get to be perfect, but I do want to shore up my position so that I can receive from God. I want to choose him. I want to choose to obey him, and I want to choose to honor his word. I want this year to be different. I want to grow in him. Maybe you've, you've never made that decision, and you're here today, and, and maybe you're kind of on the fringes, and you're like, you know, I don't know about all this. Let me tell you something. God loves you. He died for you. He did it long before you were ever born. The Bible says he knew you and had a plan for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He knows you can't. He says, come to me, accept the perfection that I did and my sacrifice for you. Just choose me, and then forget the rest. Don't ever look back, and I'll help you through it. Some of you today are, are ready to make that decision. I'm just going to pray, and God hears your heart as, as you agree with this prayer. Let's pray together. God, we, we acknowledge you as the Lord of all. We acknowledge you as our God who sacrificed for us and became perfection for us. Thank you for that sacrifice. God, forgive us for trying to do it ourselves. Forgive us for trying to be perfect ourselves. We commit today to choose you. We commit today to, to choose to obey you. We choose to honor your word. And we want our lives to be determined by that. We want our lives to be defined by your word and by living in obedience to you. Lord, if, if there's somebody in this room today that, that's never given their lives to you and, and you hear their heart right now and they're wanting to start this journey today, just agree with this prayer that I'm going to pray. God, I need you. I'm not perfect, but I know that you are. And I want to live in your perfection so that I can be worthy of you. I'm not worthy of you by myself, but because you were perfect for me, I, I, choose, to, I choose to obey you. I choose to honor your word. I choose to live like that. I'm not perfect. I'm never, I'm never going to be, but I aim my heart at you. In your perfection, you, you really died for me. You, you really died. You really rose from the grave and demonstrated your power over life and death. And there's no one else that's done that. If you didn't do that, you wouldn't be perfect, but you did. You are. You sacrificed for me. And I, I want to live in you. Help me every day. I, I trust you to make up the difference where I lack. In the name of Jesus. God, I just pray a, a, a blessing over this church. Lord, in every life, every family that's represented here, Lord, there's hurt, there's habits. Lord, there's, there's things that hang us up. And the enemy just wants us to feel shameful about it. The enemy wants us to feel like we're never going to get better. The enemy wants us to feel like this year is going to be the exact same as it was last year. And I just, I just say right now, that's a lie. And I, every person under the sound of my voice, I want you to hear that so loud and clear. That is a lie. You are better than that. And God, we just invite you in right now. I just, Holy Spirit, I just invite you in, God, to touch every heart in this room with wisdom and with the knowledge of knowing that you are perfect and there is nothing that can come against you. And we live our lives under you, God. So I just pray for every family as they leave here today, knowing, God, that they can choose you and that they are going to be okay. That change can be broken in their lives. They can live a life that pleases you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen with me, church? Amen.